I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Acts 18, which is what the passage is going to be taught on. And it says this. You know, we used to be where we stand in reverence for reading this word. And we kind of got out of that with COVID. A lot of times we didn't have anybody here to stand. But I see a lot of people out there. So if you could stand while we're reading this, it, it would just be great to get back to basics. So let me read Acts chapter 18, all of it. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, as they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of, man, of a man named Titius, uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to the, uh, Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words, and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, at Caesarea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phygeria, uh, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, 
competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of, Jesus, of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Make yourself comfortable. That he showed by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And this morning, what we're going to be seeing in this passage is really that. Is people who are built up in Jesus Christ. And I, I want us to just think for a moment about our mission as a church. Our vision as a church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is derived directly from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And this is what Matthew 28 says. It's the commission that Jesus gives prior to His ascension, and it's the commission that He gives to His church. And He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission as a church is to make disciples. To be disciple makers. That's what God has called us to do. That's the, the purpose that He's given to His church our mission then as a church, our vision being of making disciples for Jesus Christ, for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, our mission then is to become disciples. But not just become disciples of Christ, but be disciple makers in Christ. And so our mission then is to be all of Christ and all of life for all the world. And this is what we believe in essence a disciple of Christ is. One who is seeking Christ in every aspect of their lives, whether that's at home, whether that's at work, whether that's at church, whether that's in their community, or whether that's personally, for the purpose that the world might see and know Christ's glory. That's what we're hoping the world sees. Because that's what God has called us to. And what we see in this passage this morning and what we're going to see is basically an example of what it looks like or what it means or what is required of a disciple maker. We spend a lot of time talking about what it looks like to be a disciple maker, to be a, a person that's making disciples. But we don't a lot of times flesh that out. And what we see in this passage is Paul fleshing that out for us we see him actually walking through the process of discipling one another. I remember when my kids were young, when Ashley, Trent, and Tyler, each, as they were young, played softball or baseball. And one of the things that I wanted them to do as we, we went was 
it was, we would talk about softball or baseball. We would talk about what do you do in a specific situation. What does that look like? So runner on first, runner on third, one out. Fly balls hit. What does the guy at first base do? What does the person at third base do? And we would talk through different scenarios. But it wasn't good enough just to talk about it. Part of it then was that they needed to watch it and see it. If they were going to actually understand the game of baseball or of softball, they needed to watch it and see how it was being done. And then after watching it and seeing it being done, then they needed to do it and practice it and live it out. And then they needed to do it all over again. Instruction. Watching. Doing. And this repetitive theme of instruction, watching and doing over and over. And one of the things that I would often share with my kids would be that because instruction occurs in our life doesn't mean that necessarily we did it wrong or that we we didn't do it right. It does mean that we are always in the process of becoming better. Now in Christ, what that means is we're always in the process of becoming more like Christ. That this side of heaven we can never arrive We can never arrive in complete and utter perfection or sanctification, but we can continue to grow in sanctification and know that we have been perfected by Jesus through the cross. That we are worthy because of the cross and we have been made whole because of the cross and that Christ, His blood, has perfectly dealt with our sin and His grace is perfectly sufficient for all of our needs. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at this picture of a disciple. And so, at the heart of this passage is the idea that fulfilling God's will to make disciples in Christ occurs through the ministry of truth and presence. Fulfilling God's will to make disciples in Christ occurs through the ministry of truth and in presence. If we want to make disciples, if we are going to be disciple makers, both ourselves being made into the image of Christ, being constantly conformed into the image of Christ, and therefore then going out and sharing the gospel and training up others in God's instruction, in God's words, in God's commands, that's a ministry of truth and presence. And so disciple making involves truth and presence. So notice what it says here in verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, Paul comes to Corinth. Some wonder if Aquila and Priscilla were were followers of Christ at this point. It it doesn't actually really matter. But the the fact is is that Paul sought them. He, He found them. And he stayed with them. He lived with them. He was present with them. Now, traditionally in Jewish tradition, one of the things that didn't happen were that rabbis and teachers, they often didn't receive pay. They held outside jobs. 
And so Paul comes into Corinth, ministering into the synagogues, and he chooses to work as a tent maker, to not rely on them or the church for his support. And so he comes and he proclaims the truth. And I I think that there's an important piece of this picture. Right away, what he's saying is, Paul had multiple aspects of his life. It's easy sometimes to think that the followers of Christ or the apostles of Christ, that all they ever did was go out and share the gospel and minister to people. And we forget that actually they were individuals that were also living their lives. They, they too had to work often. Not all of them. We know that later on in Timothy that we're instructed the church actually is, is allowed to then go for and to those who are doing the work in the ministry to receive compensation for that ministry, to be free under that. But what we see throughout Scripture as well is this pattern of those who are serving in other capacities in the world and then also ministering. And Paul gives us a picture here. Because it's easy to to think for a second, well, all Paul ever did was minister. Of course he's taken the time to go do this. Nope. Paul's a tent maker. He's out and about and he's working. And it says here that on each Sabbath, on every Sabbath, he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks in the synagogue. He set aside that time as a priority to minister to those that were in the synagogue. Now what we see here then is this picture. And it's a picture of what it looks like to disciple or what is needed to disciple. And we're going to see some key elements of disciple making. So let's just briefly pray for a moment as we dive into this portion of the text this morning. Lord, I pray that as you work in our hearts this morning, that we would both be encouraged and challenged to be disciple-makers. That, God, that we would be reminded of Your work in us and the labor that You've done through us through the cross. Father, may You push me aside. May You push the distractions of our own hearts aside. And, God, may You speak to each of our hearts personally this morning. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So the first key element of disciple making that we see in verses 5 through 8 is a passion for the gospel. A passion for the gospel. It's going to be difficult to be a disciple maker if you don't have a passion for the gospel. Sometimes I think that we can have a passion for relationship or fellowship. We can have a passage passion for learning, but what we miss is actually a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He is our only source of hope, and He is the only answer to a world in desperate need of this hope. More importantly, it's through the gospel that God is glorified. It's through the beauty of Christ's death and resurrection that we see Christ's beauty, that we see God's beauty coming into full. Notice what it says here. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word. That means consumed. Taken up. 
pulled into testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. This ruled his life. That's what it's saying. The gospel was what he was passionate about. What are the things that you're passionate about, in all honesty? What are the things that that drive you, that move you, that pull you? Is it the gospel? Is it comfort? Is it material things? All we really need to look at within our own lives is what are the things that we run to when we have nothing else to do? And what are the things that we put aside for this one thing? What's happening in this moment is Paul is saying, listen, I'm occupied by the Word. He's occupied. He can't get away from it. It's what he lives and breathes is the Gospel of Christ. He wants people to know it and he lives in it. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. The, the very essence of the Gospel of Jesus Christ was that we lay down our lives. And, and I... I think that we have to really understand this, that the passion of the Gospel of Christ comes not through just simply understanding in knowledge that we are to go and make disciples, but it comes when it actually costs us something. Passion is defined that we are willing to give up other things for it. We're we're willing to set aside, and that's what he's speaking of there in 2 Corinthians is our need for Christ to control us. And He controls us because nothing else is worth Jesus. That's what He's saying. But unless we get that, unless we actually have this deep understanding, and what I mean deep, I mean personal understanding of the Gospel of Christ as it resonates in our lives, disciple-making will always be a chore and a duty. As long as my faith costs me little, and as long as I see the Gospel as more as an add-on to my life as opposed to the center of my life, disciple-making will be a duty. What he's saying is the Gospel controls him. It is the very thing that he grabs hold of. That Christ has saved him. That Christ has redeemed him. I would encourage you that if you wrestle with this, and I believe that there are many of us who do, we wrestle as to whether or not the Gospel is the true control over our life, that we would really take time this week, next week, in the coming weeks, sitting on this, praying and seeking God, asking Him to make the Gospel central to who we are. if we don't have a full understanding in our own hearts of the depth of God's work in us, of His grace that's been displayed to us, we can get it with our heads. But unless we understand it with our hearts, where we're willing to say, yes, I'll put all other things aside for the Gospel.
That's what Paul was saying. I'll put all of the things aside for the gospel. And so if we're going to be disciple makers, it begins with us having a passion for the gospel. And if you're struggling with a passion for the gospel, I would encourage you to be praying for a greater understanding of Christ's death and resurrection and sit on it. Allow Him to speak to you. Growing up in the church as a kid, the gospel was just the gospel. And I I mean that. I understood what it meant to repent and believe on Jesus. But it was just that. I understood it. it. It didn't really consume my life. It didn't really consume who I was because it just seemed to always have been. And it wasn't until I began to understand that to be a follower of Christ was a denying of self. Not because I have to, but because I get to. To follow this Christ that has redeemed me because I was destined to death. And He saved me. Well, because of this passion, Paul goes in the synagogues and we're told that he's reviled in the synagogues. We're told that he then goes and he shakes off, the, the, in essence, the, the dust from his, his, his cloak or from his, his coat and he, he goes beyond and he says, blood, be not on my head. Those Jews would have understood that in context to Nehemiah 5 in which Nehemiah had made an agreement with the people that they were to no longer walk in deception and be slaves amongst themselves. But rather, what he was declaring was, listen, you are choosing to walk in rebellion to God. You can imagine that Paul was discouraged. Ever had a time where you were excited about something and you were desiring to share it with somebody and it's met with rejection? I mean, I can tell you how many times as a dad I've been in the middle of something and my kids are excited about something and they come up and I'm already not the most emotional guy. And so I look at them and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And you can just see on the look on their face, like, right, just disappointment. When Christ is working in us, We want to share what God's doing. You can imagine that Paul is discouraged in this moment. He's being reviled for sharing the very hope and the promise that God has revealed. And yet, God is faithful to still bring people to Jesus. We see that as he leaves the synagogue, he goes into the home of Gentiles and he begins, not just among Gentiles, but we see the synagogue ruler himself come to know Jesus. And we're told in verse 9-11, through 11, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and none will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. The second element of disciple-making, the first being a passion for the Gospel, the second being perseverance in God's call through faith. Disciple-making involves Perseverance. And we are to persevere in fulfilling God's will through faith regardless of fear or opposition. He says, do not be afraid. Well, what are some of the things that bring fear? Sometimes it's harm. 
Sometimes it's rejection. Other times it's a sense of unworthiness or incompetence. I'm not skilled enough. And the truth is, I don't think you'll ever find an opportunity to discipleship where you ever fill as if you're fully competent. It just won't happen. I remember years ago sitting in a doctor's office and I was kind of in college, in midway through college, and I was still wrestling in my heart and mind of things that I felt like that I might or desiring to do. Some of you guys know that, that, that is one of those desires was to be a pilot. And one of the other desires, ironically, was to be a doctor. I, I loved it. I loved medicine. I still enjoy looking at medicine. I, I enjoy the whole process of understanding it. And I remember having this conversation with this doctor, and he looked at me and said, whatever you do, don't go any me- in medicine. He goes, you'll always think you know more and find out you know nothing. It's something along those lines. Can't quote that verbatim. But the idea behind that was this. I remember thinking him, and he took a moment, and he paused for a second, and then he looked at me and he said, I think you ought to go into ministry. You'll find you have more answers. And it was an interesting discussion. And one of the things was that I don't know that we find more answers, but we know who the answer is. Right? And so what he's saying here is he's saying persevere. Many of us are wonderful starters, but we're not great finishers. Discipleship is a process of both beginning and ending. And that's why Paul is instructed to finish well. We are to be a people who finish well. Sometimes we we actually like getting involved when people are in trouble and they need encouragement or they need counsel and then once it gets hard we go I, I don't, I'm out other times we feel like it's too long but what Paul is actually encouraged with is to persevere to not be afraid to continue to speak and we're told here that he stayed a year and six months with them 18 months he taught this group 18 months he proclaimed the gospel Joshua 1, 5-6 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. When we walk in a process of discipleship with one another, when we take up somebody else and begin to invest in their life, and we have people investing in our lives, We're experiencing God's promise at work. Stephen Cole says one of the biggest temptations preachers or people face is to become people pleasers rather than God pleasers. While we should be kind and never needlessly stir up controversy, let's face it. There are some difficult truths in God's Word. If we waffle on them, we are not being faithful to the Lord. God has called us to proclaim the easy things and the hard things. And we are to persevere with people in that. We are to speak the truth in love to one another. And we are to do it faithfully. 
Now, Paul's not saying here in this text, and God's not calling Paul to greater effort. He's simply calling him to greater faith. For through faith, God strengthens and uses us in the fulfillment of His will. Notice what he says. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. What's he calling Paul to have faith in? That Christ is with him. That Christ is our sufficiency. Christ is our sufficiency. So there's two aspects of that faith. The first is that Christ is our sufficiency. That we don't disciple people in our own strength. We disciple them in Christ's strength. Because Christ is the one with us. In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6, through Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. What was His sufficiency for? So that we might be ministers of a new covenant. I want to ask you, Who has God placed in your life right now to either share the gospel with and train up in Christ or to come alongside and help them grow in Christ? It's easy in a season of COVID to say, let's get back to church as it was. Truthfully, I don't think God wants church as it was. God is sovereign even in the pandemic. He knew this would come and He knew what would happen. And the question is, is are we using the things of the world as excuses to not actively, proactively, and faithfully be disciple makers? God has given us means to do this. And God's call and purpose has not changed because sickness exists within the world. There is a greater sickness than COVID. And that greater sickness is sin. And there is a greater hope than a vaccine. And that hope is Jesus Christ. God's purpose is has not changed. And God has called us to move forward trusting in His sufficiency. Secondly, we're told here in verses 12-17 through that the Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, made a united attack against Paul. And right when Paul begins to open up his mouth, Galileo speaks... And he says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. And then he drives them from the tribunal, and Galileo pays no attention to any of it. The truth is, is that Christ fulfills His promises. If we're going to persevere, we have to trust, we have to have faith in the fact that Christ is not only our sufficiency, but He fulfills His promises. He's our deliverer. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is still working out His will even when we don't see it? And do we believe that by persevering, it comes through faith, not through effort? 
My focus becomes one of trusting that God is sufficient to keep me. That God is sufficient to work in the hearts of those that He's placed before me. Remember in verse 11 and 10 and 11, He is told that there are more that are within the city who will come to Jesus. And He's saying, proclaim it. I have many here within my city. Sometimes I think that discipleship becomes more of a, a chore, does it not? I've got to go meet with this person. I've got to go do this. I, it's just a lot of time. It is. But we don't endure it by effort, and we don't endure it by just better scheduling. We endure it through faith. We endure it by allowing God to show us what is most important and pushing aside those things that are less important. We find our strength not in our own self, but we find our strength in Christ. And we trust that His promises are true. That when God says that He will protect us in doing so, He means it. That when God says He's our deliverance in circumstances where we fear, He is. 2 Corinthians 3, 1-3 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's awesome. This is a God whose word does not return void, and this is a God who delivers His people. Now here's the third P. You'll notice that there's a common theme. Passion, perseverance, and presence. Presence is vital to the equipping and strengthening of Christ's church. Discipleship and disciple-making is not simply taking a class on Deuteronomy. It's not taking a class on Christian living or on eschatology, on end times. All of that can be part of the discipleship process, but the discipleship process involves truth and it also involves presence. And presence is vital to the equipping and strengthening of Christ's church. Notice that Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila came. And we're told that After they came to Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. Now Paul brought Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus after having lived and worked with them. They heard his teaching. They witnessed his deliverance. And they were now invited to participate in ministry with Him. Part of the discipleship process is inviting people not only into learning with you and growing with you, but into serving with you. We need to be present with one another. Now God's given some tools for that. He says that we are to, to actively be, in essence, moving in this direction in Hebrews 10, 23-25, where he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Being present together is vital for discipleship. Now, how do we do that even in COVID? Well, in COVID, we are allowed to meet one-on-one. We are allowed to meet outdoors and across from one another. It's not all or nothing. We can invest in people's lives personally still. And we need to seek the Lord's discernment for doing so. If all I've been concerned about these last 11 months has been safety, I've missed the point. And if all I've been concerned about the last 10 months have been my rights, I've missed the point. God is drawing His church out to be relational, not simply within the the gathered body, but actually with one another and with the world. And He's forcing us into an environment and actually setting us free, showing us that it can be done. It can be done one-on-one. It can be, be done in part through a Zoom call. It can be in done over the phone initially. But at some point, God is saying to His church, I believe my purpose has not changed. My purpose is still that you are to make disciples of all nations. And we have to be a people who recognize and understand and grab that, who are motivated by our passion for the gospel, who persevere regardless of fear and regardless of of, of obstacles and opposition, whose faith is in Christ's sufficiency, whose faith is in the fact that God fulfills His promises, that He's our deliverer, and that presence is is actually important to the equipping and strengthening of Christ's church. God never intended for us to live in isolation. This doesn't mean that we should be reckless. It doesn't mean that we should be unwise. It does mean that God's purpose still goes forward and we need to constantly be seeking Him as to what He has for us. And that may mean that for a while, yes, I'm by myself but it also means that I don't get just to put it on autopilot and say, whoever, Lord, you bring to me, I'm going to hold at bay. And in the same way, it doesn't mean that I get to run recklessly headlong in and just assume that everyone should be comfortable with what I feel. But it does mean that I walk sensitively as Paul did, discerning the will of God as to when and where he should be with whom. He says, if it is God's will, if it is God's will, I will return to you. Paul did not go out and just blanket. He sought the discernment of the Lord and we need to be a people who seek his discernment for us as well. And then finally, passion for the gospel of Christ, perseverance 
through faith, presence for the strengthening and equipping of His church, and then finally, power of Christ displayed in the lives of purpose people. The power of Christ displayed in the lives of purpose people. Notice what happens. Apollos comes to Alexandria. It says he was an eloquent or a learned man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now this was a man, it says, who could actually speak truth. When it says eloquent, what they mean is he was not only learned, he not only understood the text, but he was wonderful at delivering the text. He was a wonderful speaker. And what can happen often with that is that people speak with confidence. People assume that it's truth. I remember being with a person one time, sitting with them at a uh, watching a Monday night football game, I was in college, and there was a discussion that was taking place at a table over on the side. They were asking about where this football player was and what college they had gone to. And they had had the, kind of this dispute going on, and this person that was sitting at the table to me leans back, rolls his chair back kind of, it was uh, kind of in this lobby of this hotel, looks at the person and says, he went to Ohio State. And they're like, oh, he did? That's crazy. Okay, yeah, great. So the guy rolls his chair back up, sits next to me, and he looks at me and goes, I have no idea. All you got to do is just say it with confidence and anybody will believe you. <laughs> and I remember sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. Like you totally interrupted this long conversation where they were trying to figure things out. And it was before the days of internet cell phones. So nobody could look it up. Well, Apollo spoke with confidence. Yet... Priscilla and Aquila come alongside and they take him. They don't go in and just publicly come in to refute him, but they see his heart and they pull him aside and they shepherd him. They actually redirect him. They give him an understanding of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And we'll see next week that what they give him in essence an understanding of is that he's not to see Jesus as simply a Messiah who's external, but he's to see Jesus as one who has granted him the Holy Spirit so that he might live holy in Christ. And what we see here is that Priscilla and Aquila are confident in Christ and confident in the sufficiency of Christ and confident in the teaching of Christ, that they are able to come alongside Apollos and then raise him up. And we're told that Apollos then goes out and speaks powerfully, refuting the Jews and making known the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Disciple-making has the fruit of people display the power of Jesus in their life. Discipleship should never end when a book does. Discipleship should never end when a study does. Discipleship is an ongoing process and it is a process that we come along others as we witness them displaying Jesus in their life. 
If all you have become is greater learned, you have become fat on the word and useless to the kingdom of God. The word is to transform our heart and our lives because Christ is transforming our heart and our lives. And his word should move and shape and move us into a place of usefulness for him, which can only be done when the display, when Christ displays himself through us. Discipleship has to be about a process of helping people walk in the power of Jesus, not simply gain a better understanding of who Jesus is. So may that be our prayer this morning as Redemption Hill, that we are committed to being disciple makers, that we actively seek for opportunities to come alongside, to one, be discipled ourselves, and then number two, invest in others. And may we not wait until we think that we're in the perfect place to disciple one another. But may we realize that God has called all of his children to be disciple makers and to go forth in the grace that God has given you, investing in the lives of one another, encouraging challenging, sharing the grace of God, building up for the grace of God. And in the words of the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded. May we not finish that. May we not see discipleship as a process that is done, but as a process that is continuous and a process that is done for the glory of God and through the glory of his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can look at your word and see this example of Paul, that it begins with a passion for the gospel. And so, God, may we, may we seek you for that passion. God, may we persevere, not through greater effort, but through greater faith, trusting that you are fully sufficient for all circumstances and all situations. God, may we see the importance of presence in people's lives. May we not isolate and live alone not alone physically, but alone in our heart. But God, may we desire to be invested in people's lives. And Father, may you, through us, display your power through a people who are committed to making disciples. May our commitment be just that, of being disciples and making disciples. May that be what we're known for today. And I ask these things in your name. Amen.